Good morning. It's good to see all of you out this morning. We're glad that you're here with us. Rosie, I never thought I would see the day that Hugh would lead a 900 song. And now he's got two. 950 and 961. <laughs> we, we, there are some people that don't like the 900s. I like them all. I don't care. But... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, you did, did a good job. Good, good song selection today. <laughs> Our lessons for this morning continues a series that we began a couple of weeks ago. If, only, if I only followed the Word of God, what would I learn about? And you fill in the blank. We talked about Christianity, and we'll talk a bit about Christianity tonight, although I, I assure you it is a different lesson from a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the church more so last week. It's organization and structure and how God wants the church to be. How we define the church. And today we're going to look at what the Bible says about worship. And this is going to be at least a two-part lesson. Uh, whenever I got into it, I realized that there's a, a lot more material than what I try, wanted to try to address today. So we'll uh, split it up a little bit. And today's lesson, I'll only get into the first point. Uh, mostly how our worship is in spirit and in truth. But when we look at the Bible, what do we learn about the worship of the church? What do we learn about the worship that God wants? First of all, whenever we have a lesson like this, I like to, to just look at the Word and look at how it is defined. So what is worship exactly? How do we define worship? Just Googling it and looking at the definition that is given, in the noun form, worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. In the verb form is show reverence and adoration for a deity, honor with religious rites. Now as we look at, at the way that we would define worship, it might be a little bit different. It's kind of a, uh, from a worldly standpoint. When we look at the church, what does worship mean within the church? One of the things that we realize about worship is that worship requires an object. If we are going to worship something, it's inherent that we have to have something to worship or someone. And in our case, the object of our worship is God. But worship also requires an inner desire to honor its object. And then it also requires action which brings honor to its object. So as we look at it from the standpoint of worshiping God, we see that He is our object of worship. That we assemble so that we can worship Him and Him alone. Uh, we're not here to worship ourselves. We're not here to, to worship the elders. We're not here to worship anybody within this congregation. We're here to worship God. And that's our, our sing, single uh, mindset. That is what we want to do. And we understand that, that in our worship of God, as the object of our worship, that it is through our inner desire 
and actions that we bring glory and honor unto Him. We have to have that desire to worship Him. We have to want to please Him. That is our ultimate goal. And it seems like for the world, it, it seems like it's a little different. Whenever we see a lot of people assemble, and I'm not talking about the denominations alone, but even members of the Lord's church, it seems like that when we assemble, we have this desire to fulfill something within ourselves. And, and that shouldn't be the case with, with us. We should have a desire to please God. We should have a desire to worship Him and Him alone. And, and to do so, then that means that we have to, to use the actions of worship in a way that pleases Him. So whenever we worship, we, we seek to worship according to His authority because we want Him to be happy with what we have done. Now if I say, I like this, or I want that, then our worship has, has turned from the worship of God, really, to the worship of self. It's called will worship is what it is. We'll talk a little bit more about that type of worship in a moment. But we serve our, our own will instead of the will of God. And that's not going to be pleasing to God. So when it comes to God, whenever we look at what worship really means, we see that He is our object. We have a desire to serve Him and worship Him. And through our actions, by doing His will, we bring glory and honor to His name. That is what worship is. We might also ask, where did worship come from in the first place? Where is it that worship actually comes from? Let's look at the first use of the word worship. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, it says, And Abraham said to his young men, and this is a, a famous chapter because Genesis chapter 22 is the chapter where Abraham is tested. His faith is tested. God has, has told him to, to sacrifice his own son. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. Now there's so much to be said just about the last phrase of that verse. We will come back to you. He was told to sacrifice his own son. How did he know that both of them would return? But I want us to focus on the word worship here. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. Now seeing that Abraham's worship involved sacrifice, we also understand that worship can be traced all the way back to Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. 
And seeing that Cain and Abel sacrificed to God, it is reasonable to assume that their parents and the parents of the world, Adam and Eve, also sacrificed and worshipped God as well. But there is something about their sacrifice, and, and it, it goes into a lot when we look at, at the meaning of it all and, and what was pleasing to God and what wasn't. Uh, apparently Abel's sacrifice was, was the one that was pleasing to God and, and not Cain's. Now as we look at worship, we understand that worship was created by God as He created man. And He gave it to man as an expression of man's love and appreciation for God and all that He has done for man. And though worship was created by God, not all forms of worship are acceptable to God. Just because we call something worship doesn't mean that God is going to be happy with it. In many instances, we see that man has placed his own touch in worship by altering what has been commanded of him. We see it in Cain. There was something about Cain's worship that was not pleasing to God. We, we see it in Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And what was it about their sacrifice? They offered it to God. What was wrong with offering it to God? The same way with Cain. He offered a sacrifice. He offered it to God. What could possibly be wrong with his offering? You know, it shouldn't be that, that anything that, that we, we purpose toward God is a good thing. But there's a problem with the worship that they offered. There's a problem with the sacrifices that they offered. Cain didn't offer something that was pleasing to God, and neither did Nadab and Abihu. And because their offering was profane... In other words, it was not according to what God had commanded them. It was rejected by God, and they died. God does reject different types of worship. If it deviates from His will and His authority, God will reject our worship. Whether it be in heart or or in the sacrifice that we offer and offering something that God did not command, our worship will be rejected. In the case of Nadab and Abihu, it cost them their lives. In the case of Cain, it cost him the life that he knew. He was forced to be a wanderer. And God put a mark on him so that he wouldn't be killed, but but everything that he had known up to that point, maybe more so because of, of what he did afterwards in killing his brother, but, but we see that Cain's life was greatly altered because of what he offered God and what was rejected. Now, 
understanding that God rejects certain types of worship. We see that, that worship can come in different forms. And there are four basic forms that worship can come in. The first type of worship that I want us to notice is vain worship. And all of these are found in scripture, by the way. Let's look at vain worship. Vain worship is basically worship of God that is not acceptable for lack of reverence or that is not in accord with God's desire and command. We look at the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15 and especially in verses 7 through 9. And in verse 9 in particularly it says, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And Kirk used a, another reference to, to this, or at least a similar idea. Uh, but from Matthew chapter 15 we understand that, that what they were observing, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were observing the traditions of men. And they were placing their traditions over the commandments of God. And that was their basic sin. And because they were placing their traditions in place of the commands of God, that they were, were basically taking their traditions and presenting them as if they were gospel, if you will. And because of doing this, the worship that they were offering God, the worship that they thought was something that was pleasing to Him, maybe, was rejected as vain worship. They were worshiping in vain. Teaching His doctrines the commandments of men. A second type of worship that we see in Scripture is that of ignorant worship. Worship of God, though the worshipers may not know Him. And it is possible to worship what we do not know. We look at the, stupor, the superstitious Athenians in Acts 17, in verses 16 through 34. And Paul comes into town. And he walks by, he sees all of these idols that they have created, all of these different gods that they worship. And he says in verse 23 of Acts 17, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, remember, worship requires an object. In our case, the object of our worship is God. In their case, they had many gods that they had created, and those were the objects of their worship. And so as he's passing through and considering the objects of their worship, he says, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. See, out of all the many gods and idols that they created and that they worshipped on a regular basis, they were so superstitious that they were afraid that they would leave one out. And they did. 
They forgot about the God of the universe, the, the only true God. And so, that one God that they had forgotten, the one that they didn't know, that was the one that Paul proclaimed to them. They worshipped, but they worshipped ignorantly. They didn't know God. And so he taught them who God was. And then we have the, the, form, the third form, is will worship. Will worship. Worship that is self-imposed. Worship that is about me, more so than anyone else. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. There is a type of worship that was, was basically willed by man. It was self-imposed. This is stuff that we need to do. And so they worshipped in that way, basically. And as I mentioned before, when we look at will worship, it, it also comes in the form of, of trying to worship God, but worshipping as we think He sees fit. We've been given God's Word. We've been given everything we need to know. We know what God has said. It's according, it's up to us to worship according to His authority. Not to say, I think God would be pleased with this or, or that. That becomes will worship. And so we have to be very careful not to fall into that trap as well. And the fourth form of worship is the worship that we, we desire. The worship that we want to have toward God. And that is true worship. And only true worship is accepted by God. True worship is worship that is according to the commandments of God and is done with proper attitude and the purpose of God in mind. John chapter 4 and verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. And truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. All Christians should seek to be true worshipers as opposed to the world worship that we often witness today. So, as we look at, at worship, I think we have a really good understanding now, maybe, of what worship really is and the type of worship that we want to offer God. We don't want our worship to be in vain. Good for nothing, basically. Offered in such a way that it is not accepted by God. And so it's, it's like, why are we even here? We don't want our worship to be ignorant. We want to know who God is. And God has given us the ability to know who He is through His Word. <clears throat> we can read it. And we can know God. We can have a, a personal relationship if you will, with Him. We can know who He is and we can know who, he, who, we, who it is that we are worshiping. But we don't want to worship in ignorance. And we don't want to, be, uh, to have our worship all about me, to be will worship. We want our worship to be true worship. And only true worship will please God 
And so that's the worship that we desire. Now as I said, we're only going to get into the first point of this lesson. There's more to it that we're, going to, that we're not going to make it into today. But our first point is in spirit and truth. It is important that we worship God in spirit and truth. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, we read of a conversation that was had between Jesus and a Samaritan woman at a well. In John chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman. She could tell by maybe the way he talked, by the way that he dressed, that he was different from, from her people. She knew that he was a Jew. And she says, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. As I understand it, they did get into trade and things of that nature with the Samaritans. But other than that, they, they avoided them. And in verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I, I have no husband. And don't you think Jesus knew that? Obviously he did by what he says afterwards. He knew. But he's making a point to her. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And it seems like she didn't want to talk about that anymore. She didn't want to talk about the husband that wasn't a husband. The man that wasn't a husband, I guess. Or even the five husbands that she had had. She didn't want to talk about that anymore, so she changes the subject. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So she turned her attention away from her own sins and her own self to something that, that maybe they debated. To worship. And where was the proper place for worship? And Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming 
when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. According to their traditions, they knew that someone was coming. And she says, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Following the revelation of her sin, the Samaritan woman redirected the conversation to that of worship. Turning to what is believed to be Mount Gerizim, uh, which is, according to Samaritan tradition, also the supposed location of many historical events and Samaritan tales. But she asked Jesus which was prop the proper place to worship. Do we worship over here on our mountain? Or, or do you worship in Jerusalem? Which one is right? Something that I'm sure was debated among the people often. Each thinking that they were right. But Jesus' response was that neither location will matter in God's plan for His worshipers. True worship or true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The location wouldn't matter nearly as much as how God is worshipped by man. Let's look at worship in spirit for a moment. What does it mean to worship in spirit? Many are satisfied with the meaning with sincerity and from the heart. As I study it, I think there's more to it than, than just that. Sincerity of heart is, is right. We need to worship sincerely. That, that's the truth. But there are many people who are very sincere about what they worship and how they worship. And that doesn't necessarily make it right either. And even going back to the Old Testament, we see that their worship was in sincerity. So why was it changed? What, what was the difference? Could there be more to worshiping in spirit than, than just sincerity and devotion? Jesus contrasted the worship of the Old Testament with a new worship model that would soon come to pass and sincerity and devotion were already part of the Old Testament worship. God is spirit and worshiping in spirit is to worship according to His nature rather than the more physical worship involved in sacrifice. And whenever they sacrificed, their worship was about the sacrifice, making the sacrifice the right kind of sacrifice, making it just right for God according to His specifications. Everything was very physical in how they worshiped and how they submitted this to God. Old Testament worship consisted of physical, fleshly ordinances. You look at Hebrews chapter 9. 
Let's notice what is said in verses 1 through 10. Hebrews 9, verses 1 through 10. Then indeed, even the first covenant and ordinances of divine service and earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Verse 6, Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part of the, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. As we read in verses 9 and 10, these fleshly ordinances were not meant to last forever. Besides these ordinances, we have the, the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. When she asked it the question, where are we to worship? And Jesus tells her, you're going to be worshiping in spirit and truth. The location doesn't matter. The, the physical aspect of worship doesn't matter as much as worshiping in spirit and in truth. By contrast, New Testament worship is more about the service of the inward man. In other words, our worship today is of a spiritual nature. Rather than meeting all the, the fleshly ordinances that were before, now we worship according to God's nature, that He is spirit and so we worship in spirit. We understand that God dwells within Christians. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Ephesians 2 verses 19 and 22, or through 22. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We understand that all Christians now serve as priests, according to 1 Peter chapter 2 and beginning with verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
In verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, a peculiar people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. As priests, we are to keep our inward spirit pure and holy. Romans 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And we offer to God sacrifices of praise on our own behalf. Hebrews 13 and verse 15, Therefore by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. We offer prayers as a sweet incense. Revelation 5 and verse 8. And our music is the melody of the heart. Ephesians 5 and verse 19. And finally, we have worship in truth. Worshiping in truth does mean to worship according to the commands of God. Which commands is Jesus referring to? Remember the contrast between the Old Testament worship and that which was to come. The law with its worship was a shadow pointing to the true worship that would come following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. When the old law with its flaws would be done away with. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 1 through 4. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come. And not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices. Which they offer continually year by year. Make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The old law was unable to take away sins, but left a remembrance of them from year to year. A new law would come, and with it, a new day of worship. Christ is now dwelling in the more perfect tabernacle of heaven where he serves as our high priest. Hebrews 9 verses 11 and 12 But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. In verse 24, Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Christ made himself the sacrifice. So that, that, that we didn't have the sacrifices that had to be continually made over and over and over again because they didn't make 
uh, those who were making them perfect. But Jesus offered one sacrifice himself. And through his blood we can be made whole. Complete. Holy. Righteous in his sight. As we no longer have earthly priests to sacrifice on our behalf. And, and he is not in a tabernacle made with hands. The way that we worship God today must be different from the ordinances of the old covenant. The true worship of today is not the same as the true worship of the Old Testament. True worship today is according to the nature of God, who is spirit. And this is only touching the surface of worship. I do have a couple more points that I want to bring out next week, Lord willing. Next week we'll look more at the, the purpose of edification in worship. And the meaning of decent and in order, and maybe a couple of other things. How the elements of worship are observed in spirit and truth. But I, I leave you with a question. Is our worship today done in spirit and truth? Are we worshiping in such a way as to bring glory and honor to God? Is that our one and only desire? To bring glory and honor to Him. When we worship, are our hearts and minds focused on the one that we are worshiping? Is there a possibility that our worship may be something not considered by God to be true worship? Something that we learn about worship is that worship is an individual matter. When it really gets down to it, we, we understand that, that our worship is accepted based on whether I have done the will of God. It doesn't matter if I'm in this building and the worship that we offer is according to God's Word. That doesn't mean that my worship on a personal level will be accepted by God. God does not accept our worship solely on, on the worship of those around us. True, we are to worship according to the, to the demands of Scripture. But God accepts our worship according to what is within the heart. And so, I ask you a question. A question that we, we all often put in the form of a thong. Is thy heart right with God? When you worship, is your heart right with God? <clears throat> Because if your heart is not right with God, it doesn't matter how often you assemble with the church. It doesn't matter what you do within the assembly. It doesn't matter if you sing louder than anybody else. It doesn't matter if you pray longer than anybody else. What matters is what's in the heart. Is your worship according to what God commands. Is your heart right with Him? If you're not a Christian, if you're not a child of God, if you've never obeyed the gospel, or, or maybe if you have obeyed the gospel, maybe you've not remained faithful, and you need to rededicate your life to Him, you need to ask for prayer on your behalf, if there is something amiss in your worship today, because your heart is not right with God, 
We want you to make it right with Him. And there's no better time than the present to do so. And so we offer this opportunity to you. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, if you need to make your heart right with God, let us help you. Let's together we stand and as we stand.